welcome to the Open Div Podcast, a series of conversations around spirituality and meaning making in the modern world. I'm Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and I'll be your host for season one, Rewilding, in which we explore nature-based rites, initiations, and spiritual practices that are accessible and authentic to a modern audience. For more on Open Div, you can visit us at opendiv.org. Emerald North, welcome to the Open Div Project. Thank you. It's good to be here. You are a vision fast leader, a ceremonialist, a painter, a sculptor, a gardener, a poet, a visionary, and you've been with the School of Lost Borders since 1933. And I believe you were a co-director with a Joseph. Uh, I was, but it wasn't 1933, but it was 1993. 1993. <laughs> I'm 100 years old. It's one of the. <laughs> you know what? The molecules in our bodies are the, the atoms are much older than that. We all come from yes. the center of stars. And, you know, if we go far enough back. So 1993 is when you joined the School of Lost Borders, though you are much older than that, as we all are, and was a co-director with the school uh, from 2001 to 2005. Yeah. Is there anything else that I've missed that people should know about you? What I would say is this. Those are all cultural terms to try to understand who this woman is. Right. To communicate that to you. None of those are who I am. Okay. Who I am is a human woman alive now in 2020, born in 1951 with a whole lot of experience that has a powerfully deep relationship with the living earth. And everything I do is an expression of that from my art, my poetry, my work, and the fact that I have been led since I was in my mid twenties, rather choicelessly to the experiences that would turn me into somebody who can listen to the words of somebody's life, the meanings that they're trying to express and intuit or sense what's really there. What they're trying to really say besides all this up here, you know, the depths of it. And so I have a gift with that because of, <laughs> I think because of for myself personally, I don't know many people, I grew up in chaos and I was isolated, I would say. I was isolated in chaos in a very large poor family, mm. right? And so out of that came spiritual trauma that had to be resolved through choices in my mid-20s. Do I want to go the ordinary route, which was really never possible? <laughs> uh, or do I want to just do all this crazy stuff that occurs to me? You know, and that's what I did. And it all led me to the School of Lost Borders over 42 years. And tell us a little bit about, I mean, what was your path? How did you arrive to the school? Maybe even a little bit more context. What is the school and how did you get to it? Well, yeah, that's a really good question because it's, there is no answer to it. It's, it the school isn't <laughs> so much an, an entity. It still has no buildings and now even less. It's just decentralized from Big Pine where the, there's admin people now <laughs> that don't live together. You know what I mean? So it's a different experience, but it's much bigger than when I first began Lost Borders. But I guess I should start where I spent some years with a teacher that I would say was rather cultish, but I don't need to go into that. But I, when I left that, 
in a few years, I met Stephen and Meredith, and I had been doing ceremonial work for 10 years because I followed what spirit told me to do. I always go where I was told. And when I was young, I was told to go a lot of places and I always learned what I needed to learn, like to say no to abuse was the first thing I had to really get. In inner and outer, my God, the abuse in the spiritual world, in the yeah. community, right? So that was in the 80s. That was everywhere. And learning to say no to that, I found myself in the presence of Stephen and Meredith when I went to the Ojai Foundation. And, and there and they were the on the ground. Yeah, I was at the Ojai Foundation. This would have been 1990. Mm-hmm. And I just left another weird community and gone to the Oha Foundation and they actually were paying me, which was rare in those days. And uh, a few months after I got there, Stephen and Meredith did a, a workshop and they had just, you know, they were the School of Lost Borders. And immediately I was like the scales fell from my eyes because I understood, you know, I understood that ceremony is not only possible, but can only be done for me from the perspective of the land is the teacher. I don't have to be, te- I'm not a teacher, I'm a guide. I can. I don't know what anybody ought to do mm. or the truth about anything. I certainly have opinions, right? But the, the land is, and that's why the, the ceremonies of everything I do, whether it's artwork with people, you take a, 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 you know, intention or mission and you go out on the land alone and you come back with a story and it's in the story that I know what to say. Because I don't, you know, it's not me, it's the land that's going to communicate. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, that wasn't true in other ceremonies. There's always the big honcho teachers. Well, the, yeah. these people were sitting on the ground and we were friends immediately and they knew how to weave a circle of people sitting on the ground in their various different giftedness, but equals, you know, and the teacher yeah. shifted and everything shifted in me. And I understood ceremony for me. They had the yeah, gift I, of mirroring I, and all of these things that came. I mean, immediately I followed, oh, you know. <laughs> I, you know Emerald, I, I think there's something you're pointing to here that I think is what I am attracted to in the School of Lost Borders and what I think a lot of people might be as well. There's this decentralized um, way of approaching ceremony and spirituality where nature is the teacher, as you said. And, you know, from your own experience with teachers uh, and, and that teacher that was more cultish, um, yes. I think a lot of people are allergic to um, religion and spirituality precisely because of that. Yeah. And what the School of Lost Borders and, you know, and other other groups like it, the, the difference is, is that it's this bigger mystery, this natural uh, world, this more or the human world that is really the guide, is really the teacher. We are guides, right? But the, the real learning comes from either within or from without, and it doesn't come from, um, you know, a, a flesh and blood uh, human person. The, yeah, this mystery that you do. Mystery. I'm really here. I shook my head a couple of times this because I just go, you know, like, this isn't a cult. These weird things are happening, these synchronicities that are just astounding. But nobody's doing it. I mean, you know, there is nobody telling anybody what to do. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, like I said, it's life-altering and has so, been. Say a little bit more about what, uh, what the School of Lost Borders actually does. 
Well, our core is the four-day rite of passage, right? And, you know, there are rites of passages in almost every culture, if not all cultures in their own ways all over the world. And so Stephen and Meredith, when they founded Lost Borders in 1980, but they had been doing rites of passage before, a decade before that. Um, And they decided to keep it as simple as possible. And so we have what we call now the bare bones, which is um, a simple uh, medicine wheel called the four shields, which actually comes from a teacher that both that Stephen and Meredith and I shared at one point. And who was that teacher? Uh, that would be Hyamiel Storms, not necessarily someone you want to meet. I don't believe he's alive anymore. But, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I can tell you that. <laughs> you, there are, I have met some people with amazing teachings that I wouldn't want to spend the night with. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's how life is. Yeah, so the core of the four-day fast is we have teachings called the Four Shields, which gives everybody the same language. That, But you don't have to believe anything, right? We're just using it. Most people really like it. Um, and then we do work about personal intent. Why would you go out? And who is it that's going out more than why would you? Who is going out to celebrate and mark and tell life and everything that you can imagine is so for you, who you are now. And so we focus on, quote unquote, the positive intent. Something like, you know, I am an adult human being with a work of, you know, justice in my life or for the world, whatever it is. And it's going to be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of it is, at least for many people, marking their adulthood. You know, whether they choose to mark their gender in that is up to them or no gender, you know. So, And it's it's an initiation, as you said, uh, because I've done some reading in in this area and the importance of initiation in the modern world uh, is in large part because we don't have (laughs) initiatory rights like we used to in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, So the initiation is is crucial. Maybe speak more about that or what happens after the initiation, right? So you're initiated and then what? Right. And that is the question. Many people come all filled full of excitement and terror to go out and fast alone for four days and nights in the desert. And yeah. I scared every time I do it. I've done it over 30 times. And you, right, because you go in a group, but then you go off solo. You go right? off alone. We work with people in our ceremony anyway. We were together for four days. They're alone in, in their own place for four days. And then we incorporate for four days. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so once they're out alone, we've already talked and they've talked about their intent and we've talked and talked and talked and stirred the pot and and hopefully they forget everything we've said and they cross the threshold (laughs) and whatever they need, it happens. And I don't even know how to explain it because it is so very simple. It can be something as simple as, as singing a song to the ants can be really powerful. And that's hard to know if you haven't been there. Yeah. The way the stars move is mind blowing to people. Like, oh my God, I didn't know that the stars <laughs> moved at night. So, yeah. even those things. But um, I did so hard to give examples because it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, kind of secret. 
<laughs> is it secret in the way of like it's something so important that it's you know feels almost blasphemous to to speak about it that and you know we're really big on confidentiality so we don't and the ceremony is a container and so what what do they say what's in las vegas stays in las vegas what happens right. in the ceremony field is held within that field that doesn't mean you can't talk about it especially when teaching we'll do things like say once there was a person who did something mm-hmm. you know yeah and it does dissipate and as a guide you have to let go of it and if you do a lot of ceremony what i say at the end of every ceremony well this ceremony is now complete and the next one has just begun just like every story that people tell in the in the circle once i hear the story and mirror the story i have to let go of that story mm. i rarely pick them up again anymore i don't think about them because there's just too many and it's not really my job maybe i've understood more and more consciously my job is to be present for what needs to happen when it needs to happen inside the ceremony then i let go mm. right and then so you can move on to the next yeah and and so are there particular tools or practices that you offer to people before they go out on alone or is it just in, intuitively they they figure talk, out what they have to do yeah we talk about what we call what we used to call maybe we still do i don't know a self-generated ceremony that's when we give examples of all the kinds of things people have done out there like you know there was once a woman who went out and she really wanted you know, to change her life. So she made herself out of stones and then she took herself apart. And then she went and found just the exact right stones for her eyes and her heart and her body. And she remade herself. And then there's stories of people who do things like they're feeling really walled in. So they build a wall and then tear it apart. Um, Those are Uh. things really. But yeah, we give all kinds of examples of what self-generated ceremony is and really encourage people you know, to do whatever they that occurs to them. And for me, I call ceremonial uh, work often it's um, contact improv with the land, with what's <laughs> going on. So you don't have to try anything. It's all the ceremony from threshold to threshold and nothing's wrong. And the only way to fail is to not come back. So you can't fail either. And when you say that to Americans, Often, for many, it's like, oh, oh, I can fail it. I'm not failing. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it's really important. We work a lot with letting go of who you think you are and what you think the ceremony is. Mm. You know, and it's all sacred. And if you come back, wow, you did it. <laughs> because in many ways the four days of without food and without company with all kinds of stimulation to really let go and feel back into your life these days is letting go of the phone, letting go of all the connections that people have, you know, and it's more difficult, I think, for people now to let go of all those things than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's really what the fact is about now, but the trouble is, is you can even get self-service in Death Valley. So, you know, <laughs> it's true. You have to say, you got to leave your phone in, in the cars, man, if you take it with you. But people yeah. use their phones for cameras. But at any rate, so that's distraction. It's letting go of distraction and there's no eating time. There's nothing. 
Yeah, because you're fasting out there. You're not eating. Uh, are you drinking at least? Yes. Um, oh, yeah, water. water. Yeah. We suggest about a gallon a day. It really depends on yeah. on the weather and where we're at. We, we do a, a whole meeting on physical safety and we have emergency systems and buddy piles mm -hmm. where you know you and another person build a pile where each of you, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, go and leave a sign that you're okay. Mm -hmm. So you communicate without seeing each other. And that's gotcha. a system that we have. And, you know, frankly, at least in the programs I've done in the last 25 or 27 years, whatever, is really emergencies are very rare. I've only had to take one person to a hospital who actually fell out of her car before we started. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was part of her story, actually. It was really, she was a surgeon. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Anyway. So you're out there in the wild. I mean, wh what areas do you work in? Well, the Lost Borders works in the Inyo Mountains in California, which are near Big Pine and Death Valley. And I've worked in Death Valley every winter for many years. I'm going to stop doing that soon. It's cold. It's really cold. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and then I work in New Mexico a couple times a year and, um, and in, in Southern Colorado. There's several places in Colorado we work because it's a great place in the Rockies in the summer to work. It's really hot and getting hotter in our desert places. And then we're starting to do some places near uh, Tucson, maybe, in the winter. Mm. And is there wildlife uh, that you have to be concerned about out there? Is there what? Wildlife? wildlife? Oh, well, yeah, like it depends on where you are. In Colorado, yes, there's bears, but you don't have food, <laughs> so it's not really, you know. And yes, there is wildlife. It's part of the fear factor. And um, there's uh, rattlesnakes in the desert. Um, they haven't come out yet, but they'll be out. And we talk about that and what you do if you see one. And, mm -hmm. you know, rattlesnakes themselves are very shy and they will generally rattle unless they're too young to have rattles. You know, you don't want to go anywhere near baby snakes, little snakes, but long snakes, they'll rattle at you. And, you know, it's instinctual to move away from a rattle of a rattlesnake. It's like, whoa, okay there. Yeah. I've seen many, many, many snakes and I rather like them than respect them. <laughs> Bears, too, yeah, and and in some way, I I feel like that's a part of it's a part of the ceremony. It's a part of going out. In you're taking on a degree of risk, even though, as you said, it's you know you've you've only had to take one person to the hospital in twenty something years. Uh, but there, you're out in the elements. You're out in the mm -hmm. wild, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like that is an important element of of ceremony where like something is at stake. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly of the rite of passage and, and the fact that there's perceived risk and there is risk. There are bears, there are rattlesnakes. You are alone. We take people into death Valley because it's one of the safest places to take people. I mean, there's like, you can see people can't get lost too easy in the forest. People can get lost and it's much more, much more risky in some ways, but you know, that's part of it. And psyche understands the fact that, you know, there's a ritual and there's a difference between, for me, between ceremony and ritual. Ritual is the thing that is done the same way every time, you know, you come together for the ceremony, there's 12 days, these same kinds of things are talked about intent and, you know, your four shields and self-generated ceremony across the threshold and you're alone. 
that's the ceremony. What happens out mm. there, I don't know. Because every time I've done it, it's surprisingly and very different. I mean, it's never the same. You know? yeah. And it what, is communication to me. And what is what are some of the things that personally you've you've discovered about yourself or about the, the world out there? Oh gosh. Well, I guess what I'd say I discovered about myself or learned to really express to myself as my own self-respect, because I didn't grow up with that. And you truly have to respect yourself to uh, be able to confront and not be allured, not to be like the sirens by the images, by the, you know, I'm a very strong uh, visionary. And but that's no more important than the dishes now. You know, I know that, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm very grounded. And so I can, you know, participate in kinds of consciousness that it's more difficult for some people because they don't know how to give back. But if you never leave, you know, so I'm really rooted to the earth through these ceremonies, they're earth ceremonies. And um, I believe my senses, there is, you know, my experiences, there is what I call the ceremony. And it, to me right now, it is a, a consciousness that maybe consists of all the ceremonies in this tradition that have ever happened, mm-hmm. of all the people all over the world now. And so it creates this consciousness that is self-aware, becomes self-aware, you know. That's my fantasy, anyway. You know? <laughs> and, and it's, uh, yeah, and you're talking about the uh, well, the the, root, the rootedness, the groundedness, the earth-based quality of of these ceremonies. Um, yes, where there's this uh, conception in, I guess, spiritual spirituality that it's that it's ungrounded. Like you you can get lost in the in the visions and the beauty and the ecstasy, but it sounds like. You know, here maybe there is some of that, but it teaches you to be really present and with what needs to be done, whether it's the dishes or whatever kind of earthy stuff, earthy work, um, and not valuing one like uh, over the other. Right, which is what the four shields are. If they're really the movement between our, you know, our innocent child self, our rebellious internal seeking adolescent self and our adult work self, wisdom self, and, and even the elder is still in the adult phase. And then this mysterious spirit that we always have. Those are the are those four, the really. Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing is about moving around, not, you know, most circle teachings are all static. This is this and this is there and they don't move. Well, this is okay. You have, you know, innocence in the child an example would be a child is innocent and pulls the wings off a butterfly. Well, they don't have any idea that, that you know, a three-year-old has no consciousness that that might create harm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's part of your innocence. But anyway, I don't want to get into this whole teaching. That makes it difficult. But at any rate, it's about moving around. And so when, you know, yes, there is the spirit and there is vision, but if you don't ground it, there, are, you know, you've all been to meetings with the visionary people who who have idea after idea after idea of what you should do. So this is about no, I have idea after idea about how I should bring into the body again. 
because the the child is the body, is innocence, and you got to uh, bring the spirit into the earth, into body. Art does that, you know, the kind of work I do that. Everybody can do that. When you take your vision, take it and try to make it real in the physical world, which takes some innocence. And then, well, of course, evoke the darkness and the shadow when you go, oh, shit, that didn't work. (laughs) And then you get wisdom from all of that and you try new things, you know, and then you have another illumination, another vision. But you always have to bring it around. I, you know, people who do art know that you can't, if you don't, if you just have an idea and you don't make something, well, you know, you right. can't call yourself an artist, in my opinion, unless you've got some art <laughs> that yeah. you've done. So anyway, for me, a lot of my life has been about embodying spirit because uh, I have a lot of gifts in both the East and the South in the Four Shields, which is, you know, I physic. I'm I'm very kind of bodily kinesthetic. My knowledge is that way. I'm very intuitive. You know, I'm self-taught in as a painter and everything. But mm. it's all really about embodying the spirit, which also had to learn to say no to God. That's what I mean by self-respect. Saying no to spirit. Yeah, you have to be able to stand up to your own visions. You know, and, and not not get carried away with and them. not get carried away. And it's also called megalomania. It's also, you know, it, and not get so carried away that you deny the shadow. There mm. are people who are already, you know, you know, the people who say things like don't talk about the bad thing or it will happen. Yeah, well, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, you do have a shadow. I'm a painter. If I don't put a shadow under a tree, it's not on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. these four shields, none of them is better than the other. The spirit's not better than the shadow. The child is not less than the adult. These are all powers that we have. And when we can access them, that's when the wheel moves, really, and we become a full human being. Mm-hmm. But we're constantly, you know, we have different gifts. Some of us are more mental. Some of us are more physical. Some are more have gifts in the unconscious and some in the spirit. So it's like, you have to take those gifts and then move around the wheel. It's kind of Jungian in some way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it sounds very Jungian, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. The, I mean, the first time I heard it, I went, Oh, how Jungian. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. And so he would have loved the four shields. And what I like about them and what I've noticed is unlike all the other medicine wheels I've heard in my time. And I've heard a lot. It's about movement around the wheel. It's a key and a tool on how to move, which is why when I met Stephen and Meredith, I was floored because I knew the wheel. But it wasn't about movement. I wasn't taught that because I don't think my teacher knew that. Mm. And Stephen and Meredith intuited it like they did the basic bare bones in many ways of this ceremony. Stephen and I, I think, gathered information and then it just came together out of his bones. It's very different when we talk about appropriating Native American ceremony. It's very different. Having been in some, it's not the same ceremony. Right. So, so that is something that um, people might be wondering about, like how, yes. um, you know, vision, vision fasts are typically associated with, with Native American rites. Um, but from, from what I've heard and read, like there are fasting traditions around the world and vision yes. fasts are, you know, 
communities. So could you speak a little bit about that? You know, what connections are there and, and what differences are there uh, between the work of School of Lost Borders and, you know, Native traditions? Well, the connections, of course, is they're land-based, where the land is the creator, basically. So they're land-based, I would say. But, you know, fasting traditions in the Christian tradition is the desert mothers and fathers. I mean, lots of, lots and lots of cultures have fasted in the wilderness. And so yeah. the it's fasting in the wilderness, still a part yeah, of that. I mean, that's why we try to keep it so simple. I did ceremonies and I was trained to, I did have a pipe, uh, you know, a Native American pipe and I was trained to do sweat lodges and when I first met this ceremony those were the ways of the Native American that I was training with and there were it's very strict with lots of rules and mm -hmm. then I met this ceremony and this, the rules were gone but I was told by the ceremony when I did my first fast that I was to put down the pipe I was to not do sweat lodges anymore that I was to not follow the path that path because all I needed was my voice and my integrity mm. to do this. And, you know, it was difficult. It was like, turned me into a 13-year-old who just lost everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had to start over again at 42, you know. And yet, that's what I love about it. It's the simplicity. The Native American, everyone's different. There is no Native American. It's very different. Pueblo right. people's ceremonies are almost entirely secret and Lakota people, it's a completely different ceremony. So I don't want to say native American. Um, so indigenous people had, I think the, the biggest thing had their right to be their ceremonial ways destroyed by uh, a culture of white people coming flooding in like, you know, locusts, you know, so the psychic memory of their body is, you know, reverberating with that still you know just mm -hmm. as i think european women at least western european are still you know maybe less so now are still reverberating from the generations of women who were butchered and and burnt at the state for having a connection to the earth you know because that was mm -hmm. demified uh, so these things are in the psyche so i like to think I want to really honor what happened to Native peoples and that we share now the same lands. But the ceremonies that we do are kept so simple. And we don't do pipes. We don't have medicine names. We don't do sweat lodges. All we do is, in fact, we listen to people about their lives and send them out alone on the land and then listen to their stories when they come back and then integrate them into the community. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's as simple as possible. Um, yeah. And that's what I love about it. There, you, it. Scientists can come and do people used to be religious people would come. We've had nuns come and then we've had, you know, hippies come. And um, now the now there's the new age plant people that come, uh, you know, the ones that go, oh, my goodness. The ayahuasca people come right. <laughs> and they all have a place, you know, and then. Yeah. You know, the therapists, lots of therapists, and now the young politicals, you know, whatever that means. I mean, it's a whole language. And I'm like, what did you just say? <laughs> Please translate. <laughs> so yeah. really to keep it so open, because really it's not about belief. 
You know, everybody has the four shields in that, you know, you were a child and an adolescent. You are an adult, most likely, and you will. And there's spirit, at least. Why else would you be willing to fast without food for some reason? You know, and that's one thing. People who are called to us have a really strong reason inside themselves, because why else would you do it? And so it's a certain kind of person that's willing to to risk and to go without and to face the dark night alone. Do they often know, uh, can they put their reason into words or is it something deeper? Yeah, some can, you know, some can, but we work uh, with what we call intent is listening and helping them, you know, fluff off all what they're gonna do out there because that's not the intent. That's all just what they're gonna do. That's the, cer- and the ceremonies they want to enact. And, but we focus on who is it that's going out there so that people, you know, our culture has taught people not to be able to say with pride, let's say, you know, I'm a powerfully creative woman with healing work for the world. And so to be able to acknowledge that and say it out loud to self and other is the intent, Mm -hmm. you know, because it is so, and people will go all over the place about it happened to be 100% so all the time. And we talk about, well, no, that's not human. You know, we're very large. I'm powerfully creative and I'm also can be very dull. It's both true. So it's really about acknowledging the truth and getting bigger. That's why the yeah. circle has to get bigger, you know? Eh. So that every, that's what I mean by keeping simple. We have had Native American people come. Sometimes, in fact, 20 years ago, it was more because they were, couldn't find their own ceremonies. That's not so true now, you know. But we had yeah. to get super, super big. Huh? In terms of it, inclusivity, in terms of... Yes. Yeah. 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 And more and more, there was it for a while anyway, and it keeps... Well, the pandemic kind of changed everything. You know, more people of, people of color coming. And then... I don't know what's happening now with uh, everything gets the whole political thing. I don't think we're getting Republicans anymore, which didn't (laughs) used to be the truth, you know, because politics have kind of getting their way into things. And that concerns me. Um, But then it's everything's in cycles and I can't very little say about how all that works. So So the difference really between what we do and what, you know, what a Native American culture might do is that we're not following anybody's tradition other than this very simple model. And we acknowledge the lands that we are working upon, you know, Um, and we acknowledge the people. And we can, if we, if we can, we contact them. Some don't want us, but, you know, because what we're doing really isn't. Yeah. I like the, I guess you could, Called a, a minimalist you yes. know, minimalism of, of the work. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it's very it's very simple, as you said. It doesn't have a lot of pomp and circumstance, and you know, it's 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 meant to get you out alone with with what is out there and what yeah. is real and what is true, and put you face to face with that on your own. Right, uh, and it's yeah. what's real and true for you, because I see it as like ceremony takes place in the real desert and you're actually there and the mythological desert at the same time. Mm. And that'll mean different things to different people. I've had 
I had Lutheran ministers, three of them once go out. And this guy in the middle of Death Valley found an apple, really, that hadn't been eaten, that was fresh. And it utterly changed his view of Eve and the Holy Mother and everything changed. Those things happen. And it's like, what the, who knows how that happens? I don't know. So it's the mythological desert, but it's also the actual desert or the mythological forest. So the the experience is different based on the landscape and the time of the year. The season fall is very different from spring. So what season are people called to come out to? What kind of stories? What kind of landscape? You know, it's all intertwined. It's there's a huge, you know, gestalt, you know, that is the ceremony. Um, and yeah. I would that's probably true of Native American cultures, but it's a different gestalt. And I would never pretend to know or understand it. Right. Nor this one, really. So, <laughs> yeah, I hear a kind of humility and and <laughs> in the way that you talk about this, and I I feel like when talking about the the mystery, the unknown, um, whether it's the subconscious or the world at large, we have to bring a kind of humility to it. I feel like the, the mistake a lot of gurus or leaders you know make is that they they think they know too much. <laughs> yes, I've experienced that, and I've experienced it in myself when I was younger. I mean, sometimes you have to know too much to know how much you do not know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and be be humbled in, uh, yeah. in various ways. Yeah, and now I know less and less. I mean, the world is a very complicated place, and you know, deep questions of what you know is any of this of any use or purpose. But even if it only connects people together for that time, in that experience, that is now in the human psyche forever. That I do know. Every yeah. single ceremony, everything that's ever happened. So, yes, if people leave, the incorporation's the hard part, right, when, when it's over. If people leave and totally forget, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And now some people will have in them for the first time this, what it's like to be in the kind of circles that, frankly, are created uh, when people come together for this ceremony. It's, yeah. How are people changed by these ceremonies? How have you seen it? Well, how I've seen it, because I often never see people again. Mm. One of the things I love about the work I do <laughs> is I see people for 14 days. And because if I was to live with them, um, the relationship would be different. Right. Mm. So people come back across a threshold beaming and often much more relaxed in themselves. So I've often seen people who were have social anxiety be able to just totally let go of that for the time they're there, you know, for the, 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 the la- after they come back from the fast. That kind of thing is immediate, mm. more into physically embodying the truth of who they are without being so afraid that, you know, I don't know what people are afraid of because I've always been unable not to embody <laughs> <laughs> who I am. It got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Speaking of fear, I mean, you mentioned that um, every time you go out, there's some fear for you. What does that consist of? What is that fear? Oh, the, the, the drop in the pit of your stomach the night before this is really, why am I doing this again? I don't really need to do this again. It's the knowledge that you haven't crossed the threshold yet. You've got four days of not eating. And yet not eating except for once or twice is almost never the issue at all for me. 
Um, and it's also um, sometimes it's absolutely delightful. Sometimes it's boring and hard. Depends on the weather. Sometimes it's freezing cold or in, in the time of year. Um, but even then, it can be freezing cold and really windy. But you manage. But I manage to find, you know, really what powerful and useful connections in in psyche and in the landscape. I don't know how else to put that. I'll be wandering and then I I come across a boulder in the middle of Death Valley that I'm sure the Park Service knows is there, but they're unmapped, that is covered with carvings of a big ship with lots of, you know, it's like the story of when the Spanish came and made a church in, you know, Death Valley, I guess in 15 something. And so it was really the story of the arrival of the Spanish was on this stone, the arrival of the marauders. And so finding that stone while I was on day two of my fast or something became about the marauders inside of me. You know, not only the marauders, you know, that I've experienced personally, but the marauders of my culture, the marauders, the the ramifications of what happens when the marauders come through. And, and for me, that was about, there's a, it, it's happening really clearly today when I call the marauders, my God, it's this energy of, I, I don't know what to call it other than that. And it's something we have to deal with because here it is. Mm. And maybe the only way to deal with it is to go, oh, there it is, you know, inside myself and outside and be with it as much as possible. And when you have the opportunity to be in ceremony, and be connected. Wow, enjoy that. Yeah. Because, you know, we're guilty for our joy, too. You know, we go, oh, I shouldn't feel so good. <laughs> because <laughs> the world is so bad. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with that. <laughs> oh, God, I do. I do know. Yeah. And you have to be able to do both. I was a young dancer. It was when the first time I remember feeling that dancing and feeling such joy. And yet the world was such a terrible place. And that's part of what you said, you know, you have to live within the tension of the opposites. And, hmm. and in fact, it's a responsibility. If we get, and I do, these days get all bogged down in the world and, and all the things that are happening. And I don't allow the flow to happen. I don't allow art to be made. I don't allow even grief to roll through. I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my part. You got to be in the tension of the opposites and flow around the wheel. Like I was painting yesterday and I've got one painting I'm calling a prayer for Ukraine and the other painting is a prayer for Russia. And they're very different. One is, I thought it was a forest fire at first, but no, oh my God, I didn't know this until, in fact, I started the painting a month ago, but it's like a, um, a missile strike in it. And it's wow. like, whoa. You know, and then the other painting is uh, of an infant, you know, with a wry look on its face. So who knows? You know, to me, that's art is ceremony and following art is about following the flow out of despair. That doesn't mean you don't return to despair. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's a responsibility to feel joy, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And for those that are listening and are interested in getting involved, how can they do that? Um, They can go to the School of Lost Borders website, which is 
theschoolglassborders.org. They can also go to my uh, art website, which is earthtonesart.com. These are all paintings. And, you know, I will say that it does need to be updated. <laughs> uh, I'm not the best on computers, but at any rate, yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of us. Awesome. Well, Emerald, thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Open Div podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more, you can visit us at opendiv.org, where you'll find over 70 other conversations with thought leaders, academics, and practitioners about the future of spirituality and meaning making. You can also sign up for our email list to hear about upcoming classes, podcast releases, and other fantastic offerings. Again, I'm Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and as the host of this season, I want to extend special thanks to all our guests for sharing their wisdom, to Casey Rosengren for helping produce this season, and for Engin Hassan for editing and sound design. If you like this episode, please rate it or share it with a friend. Thank you again for joining us. This is The Open Div Project.